The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. Welcome to What Catholics Believe. Tonight with me, we have Father William Jenkins of Immaculate Conception Church in Norwood, Ohio. Good evening, Father. Hello, Jim. Yesterday, the uh, presidential hopefuls, or at least those who hoped to win the ticket for the Republican Party, uh, had their second debate uh, on national television. And... Uh, What's interesting about the uh, candidates so far is that the two who are most popular in most of the polls are actually not established politicians, um, and their styles couldn't be more different. Uh, you have the bombastic uh, Donald Trump and the uh, quiet, thoughtful uh, Ben Carson. But all of this uh, political uh, debates and the shows that are being put on by the network televisions... Um, lead us as Catholics to some important questions. Uh, and the first uh, is, as Catholics, are there or what are the values that should, that should inform us as to who we should vote for? Well, Jim, uh, that is, of course, an excellent question, especially when we're facing an election of such great importance. Um, I guess some initially would would question uh, the question itself and would say, what difference does it make? Uh, there are so many anomalies with the electoral process right now, uh, especially the, the vote counting process, that uh, really, I, I think one would, uh, can't just dismiss uh, as being paranoid those who say that the decision has already been made in the, uh, the smoke-filled dark room somewhere uh, as to who is going to be the anointed by the liberal establishment to be the leaders of the free world, so-called, and who the president is going to become. Uh, I think there, there are so many shady uh, uh, things being reported uh, you know, at the polls and the vote counting that really give people pause to think that the people really ha have no uh, honest and legitimate voice in this. And if we get another Bush versus Clinton, mm -hmm. then maybe we know for sure. Um, I guess we'll find out. Uh, but but how, however we find out, I think we're going to have to find out the hard way to find out at all. Uh, but there, there certainly are enough uh, anomalies uh, in, in the vote counting to uh, give rise to uh, real serious questions about voter fraud. And everything from the hanging chads, right, uh, to the 100% voter turnout for one candidate in a certain voting district, which is uh, probably statistically impossible, <laughs> or near impossible, to having more votes counted than there are registered voters in the district. You know, uh, there are all kinds of uh, stories like this, and uh, people who bring their own accounts from the polls overhearing people saying that they're in line and voting for the third or fourth time for the same candidate. 
Um, so there are a lot of suspicious things that make people think, well, the, the election is, is worthless. You know, it's just theater is all it is. Well, uh, theater it might be. And I have to say that, yeah, definitely there's a lot of theater and theatrics involved. You mentioned Donald Trump on the one hand and Ben Carson on the other and how polar opposites they are in their styles and their, their, their personalities. The fact that they're, they're not career politicians um, is really the one thing they have in common, I guess. Um, but the antics of some of them, I've likened to the Three Stooges. You know, how they're, they're picking at each other and poking at each other. And, and they're more involved in, in attacking each other than they are actually addressing the issues. Uh, one thing that seems impressive about Ben Carson is he... He doesn't seem to lower himself to get into that ad hominem, uh, just trying to elbow everybody else out of the way. He seems to be a thoughtful individual who really does look at the issues and uh, the welfare of the country. That, that, that's how he impresses me. And he's not the only one, but he certainly does seem to stand out in that regard. So although one might look at the field and say, well, this is nothing but a... a a uh, comedy of uh, the Keystone Cops and uh, the pitfalls and the pratfalls and all the other things that go with it. Uh, really, there are some candidates who seem to understand. As I told the students today, we can't expect any of these people to be the deliverers of our country, especially in light of the fact that we have the benefit of our Blessed Mother telling us at Fatima what the real issues are. And the real issues are sin, the offenses against God, we have to realize that God could, by his almighty power, turn everything around instantaneously if we would cooperate with the grace that he gives. We, but short of that, if we do not cooperate with, cooperate with the grace that God gives, there is no human agency that is going to save us from this current uh, crisis, and it is a crisis. Uh, the one thing, again, about Ben Carson is that he doesn't seem to have any pretense that he is going to turn things around, that he's going to be our savior, that he has all the answers. Uh, quite to the contrary, he seems to have a sense that uh, God will have to save us, and he understands that. And so there's a certain humility in him that I, I would find very appealing. Uh, I think many other Catholic people would find it appealing, although Ben Carson's not a Catholic, as far as I know. He seems to have a Catholic approach to that, that we are not going to save ourselves because of the nature of the problem, that Almighty God is the one who has to save us, and in order to expect that, we have to turn to him and implore him for his mercy. Um, so I, I like the idea that he does not seem to present himself as the savior of the United States of America or mankind or anything else. Um, as far as the principles go, though, I mean, that's basically what you're really asking for, right? I think the first principle is very clear, that if uh, we as Catholics understand that we can promote the good and resist the evil, we have a moral obligation to vote. Uh, it could be that as a Catholic who thinks, well, there's nothing that my vote will do to promote the good and resist the evil, and that Catholic might at least subjectively be justified in saying that he does not have an obligation to vote. But that would be the first principle. That is, if we think we can do good and, and avoid evil, then we do have a moral obligation to get out there and make the vote. But we have to figure out what 
uh, what that vote would be to accomplish that purpose. So uh, I don't want to monopolize the... Uh, I could go on and on, as you probably have, have detected. And, and maybe I could summarize a little bit of what you uh, have said and see if I'm understanding it correctly. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, so our viewers... Uh, Catholics should start with prayer. That's what Our Lady tells us that we should do before Absolutely. we do anything else. But that's part of the discernment as to know the answer to that question. Correct. You're right. And then um, well, you used uh, Ben Carson as an example of this, but one of the traits we should look for in the people that we're voting for is someone who is a God-fearing individual who also displays that uh, humility mm -hmm. that, that goes along with that. And then uh, finally, um, uh, let's face it, uh, Probably since the uh, very first elections in the United States, uh, I mean, there's evidence that when uh, they were voting for the uh, Virginia House of Burgesses, that uh, there was times when the uh, candidates would line the voters up in a certain manner to come up to vote because the voting was done publicly. And then uh, people had a tendency to swing their votes to whoever was the more popular candidate. So if you could get your people up there to vote first and they'd yell out, your candidate, then everyone else will get up there and be like, we want to vote for the winner, and mm -hmm. you could you could win that way. So voter fraud is uh, something that's probably been with us since the beginning of our country. Oh, right, right. No but that doesn't mean that we should give up, right? <clears throat> that we, we still have the obligation to make a, the best choice that we possibly can and, and then vote. Well, in our country, you know, I mean, that is a matter of the responsibility of the citizens you know, yeah. to vote, and we have the, we have the vote. Uh, people did not. Human nature was always there, but you know it's only fairly recently that people had the power to vote. Except for the uh, pure democracy of Athens, and we know how that worked. Um, but we don't have a pure democracy. We have a representative democracy, a republic, and uh, that imposes upon the citizens an obligation to vote, really to vote their consciences for what they believe is the right. You're right. Uh, they should start by prayer, clearly. Uh, and if they vote for somebody as Catholics, they need to vote somebody who himself will also pray for God's guidance. Um, but you're looking for people who, uh, while they may not necessarily be Catholics themselves or have, hold Catholic principles and in their entirety, they at least believe in the natural law of God and uh, that you can count on them to vote for what is moral and what is right. Uh, it's, it's hard to find a candidate who's clear on that, but if you find a candidate who's clear on that, uh, then there certainly would be an obligation to vote for that candidate as opposed to one who doesn't have the, those principles. Um, I guess these days, uh, people would have to struggle to find a candidate like that. You know, um, There is an issue that comes up here, though, and that is, if you don't find a candidate who really, uh, in whom you have confidence, will at least vote according to the natural law of God, um, that must you choose the least of all the evils. If you have a slate of candidates uh, who you do not trust to vote uh, for morality, as we Catholics know it to be, the moral principles, uh, how does one determine uh, who is the least of all the bad candidates, uh, the lesser of evils, or the least of evils, and then is there an obligation to vote for someone like that who is simply qualified only because the other candidates are even worse than he is? 
It's not a question of here having good, better, best. It's a question of having bad, worse, and worst. So, um, what did they? They must have told you something in law school about that. <laughs> well, uh, they don't. They. Uh, I, I went to rather liberal law school, so I don't oh. trust anything that they told me about that. Um, anyway, but but it does seem uh, to your point. Um, there there comes uh, maybe a, a couple crucial times uh, if we're using the presidential election as the basis for this, where. Catholics might need to make um, decisions. You have the primaries, and as it stands in the primaries right now, you have a, a decent selection of uh, uh, candidates who uh, can fall in a lot of different ranges, um, as opposed to when you get closer to the end and maybe even the actual presidential election, then you, you, uh, the issue of, of what, what you do because America is a two-party system. Um, but before we get, get to there, uh, so right now we have uh, roughly 10 candidates and um, some for the, are for the Republican. The Republican uh, have they cleared primary. some out of the field? Uh, I think it's getting to that point where they, they probably will. You may not have all those uh, on the uh, ticket when you actually uh, get to vote. Mm -hmm. But the uh, question that maybe Catholics might struggle with would be, so you have a candidate who's pretty strong in most areas, but then maybe they um, fall off the bandwagon in one or two areas versus someone else. How, how do you go, how do you balance that? I mean, are there priorities that should be given, first of all, uh, for example, being pro-life? Um, secondly, uh, policies maybe on something like marijuana, uh, other, uh, what they term social causes nowadays mm -hmm. uh, that we might more refer to as spiritual causes, because that's what, really what they are. Um, how, do we, how do we rank that uh, when we're trying to decide between these candidates who, some are not too bad, but not perfect? Well, uh, you know, when it's talking about morality in general, morality is we Catholics know it to be. Okay? True moral principles based on the natural law and then divine revelation, the divine positive law. Um, but, you know, this actually uh, starts with the question, does a candidate even believe in the rule of law? And this is the problem we've had here in our own country. We have, we have people in power who don't even believe in the rule of law. They don't believe in any higher authority than themselves. Uh, they say that their court or their office, uh, whatever it might be, has absolutely supreme authority, is not subject to any other uh, rule of law about any above them, and certainly not the natural law, certainly not the, the law of God, and will come out and actually say so. And they will say that there is no power over this court uh, that, that supersedes this court, uh, no power to which this, this court is uh, subject, uh, which is essentially uh, a way of saying that we are the supreme authority uh, over all, you know, uh, and that, that absolutely no authority can, uh, uh, can govern us or controls our wills. Our wills are absolutely supreme. When you have, for example, a court, like a Supreme Court in a country, that says there is no uh, natural law that, that restricts us in our decisions, um, that there is no constitution um, to which we are uh, committed, despite our oaths of office, uh, when you have, as we have today, Supreme Court justices who say we have to look uh, at the law globally, and have to take into consideration the laws of other nations, international law, in making our decisions, despite their uh, 
uh, oaths of office to uphold the United States Constitution, you have people who absolutely uh, have no sense of any rule of law, divine or human, um, that will restrict them because they've made an oath and they, they just formally, explicitly disregard it and say, we will not be bound by any oaths. Um, so you have, uh, you have uh, no liberty possible in a case of people like that. When they are in power, uh, they're essentially saying that we recognize no liberties um, because we recognize no duties of our own, you know, to any authority, constitutional or otherwise. Interestingly enough, what you're saying about a rule of law and natural law goes back to where you started, and that is, a person needs to have enough humility to admit that there is a higher power. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, right, right, and uh, you know we have a uh, an epidemic of this in our uh, government right now. Um, the, so uh, you, you see a disintegration that comes in immediately from that, right, uh, of any rule of law, and it, it it's descending down through our society. To the point where our communities now are revolutionary uh, and uh, our police are under constant threat uh, because of a contempt for law that filters right on down to the very lowest levels of society and those fundamental levels, you know, um, of our American people. It's lost respect for authority and lost respect for law. And they've been, they're instructed in this by those above them, those who govern them, to have contempt for law, contempt for man's law, contempt for God's law. Um, the consequences are, are indeed terrible because what you wind up with then is anarchy. And anarchy sets the stage for tyranny because the strong man then moves in, imposes his iron fist on everyone. Um, you know, so you, you go from a, a, a dissolution of the rule of law to anarchy, and then necessarily what follows is tyranny. Uh, in this case, what's happening is Satan himself is trying to uh, dissolve any allegiance to Almighty God or any recognition of his authority. So that having dissolved that, that bond of our society and creating anarchy, he will impose his own will over all mankind, notably over our own country. Um, we see the effort forming to do that too. It's a very uh, tragic uh, exchange that our society makes for the, the rule of God's law and his love for the despotic rule of Satan who knows no love. It will be just horrific. It will turn. I mean, talking about creating hell on earth, well, this is what it's going to be. Um, Unless, you know, we, we respond to the grace of God as Our Lady asked at Fatima. So, one might say, well, we have to vote strict constitutionalist. And if we find somebody who says he will follow the Constitution and not swerve from the Constitution, that that is enough for Catholics. That's not enough for Catholics, though. Uh, because the Catholic, uh, the Catholic Church says that ultimately we have to uh, look for God's rule, the rule of natural law, and we have to look to explicitly acknowledge that law of God, as our founders did in creating our nation. Um, so, and, but beyond that too, 
I mean, unless we have a formal recognition of Christ, our Lord himself, um, then our nation is going to have this, this fundamental uh, instability, which will lead us right back to this point again. Um, if people have been able to get away with falsifying our nation and uh, basically uh, uh, departing from the, the rule of law, it is because there was a fundamental flaw somewhere, you know, in our foundation. And that fundamental flaw, as we're taught by Catholics, is a failure to recognize Christ for who he really is, a failure to recognize his true church that he established, a failure to recognize his, the true faith. And the Catholic Church offends people in the past, nowadays, I mean, the modern Catholic Church, you know, the people who are doing this are largely Novus Ordo Catholics. Uh, Anthony Kennedy, right, who, um, as we talked about before, uh, says, uh, writing the majority opinion for the Supreme Court, and striking down the Defense of Marriage Act says that the federal government cannot have a Defense of Marriage Act because the states have the power to determine the, the rules of marriage, the laws of marriage. And then just a couple of years later, uh, who imposes the same group of people, the same cabal of five judges, led by Kennedy, again, writing the majority opinion, it completely disregards what he just said, totally contradicts what he said. And now he says acts in the name of the federal, a federal government organ, the Supreme Court, imposing gay marriage on the entire nation, homosexual marriage, despite gay laws, to the, uh, despite uh, the laws of the states to the contrary. Uh, and time and time and time again, it is, the, it is federal courts that are striking down the laws of the states uh, against homosexual marriage. So again, you don't have a rule of law here. You have a rule of of ideology and a, and a rule of, uh, well, I guess you just have to call it even worse than an ideology, some kind of a, uh, a, uh, a mania. You know? mm. uh, but in any case, the, the point I'm, I'm getting at is these are Novus Ordo Catholics. Jim, uh, David Bunning, the, the, the lawyer, I guess he's a circuit court lawyer, right, who put Kim Davis in jail. I mean, uh, we can talk about this a little further, even explicitly states there's no natural law superior to the authority of his own court. Hmm. Maybe he was referring to the Supreme Court. Regardless, same, same idea, you know. Uh, this is outrage. It's an absolute outrage. Uh, and uh, it's an denial of the, of the most fundamental founding principles of our own country here. Um, but these are Novus Ordo Catholics, and they're being led by Novus Ordo prelates who are teaching them these things. I'm talking about the traditional Catholic Church, the real Catholic Church, which has said that you have one true God who has one true Son, who has created one true Church here on earth, and that one true Church is the Catholic Church of history, the traditional Catholic Church. And unless you have a society in which that is recognized, you're going to have a fatal flaw in that society because the laws are going to fall away from the law of the gospel and we're going to wind up exactly where we are right now as nations in the past have, have continually wound up in this state, a revolutionary state, rejection of God's law. 
Now, people are offended when the Catholic Church talks like that. But, you know, the fact is, if you have a church that doesn't talk like that, it can't be the true church. You should just dismiss it out of hand. Because if Christ established a church, it has to say this. If it cannot say this, is embarrassed to say this, is afraid to say, this is the church established by Christ, this is the one true church, outside of this church there can be no salvation, and outside of this, 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 the church there not only can be no salvation for an individual soul, but for society also. That society will always go off the rails unless you, you are following Christ and the law of Christ. You're going to wind up exactly where we are now. If you have a, you know, any church that cannot or will not say that should be immediately dismissed. Because you say, well, what, what's the point? If this church cannot say this is the church established by Christ, and it has his authority and speaks with his authority, then why would I, as a Christian, give the time of day to a church that cannot say that? And if I am a Christian, why would I object when there is a church that actually says that? and says it boldly, and stands up for it, and is willing to suffer martyrdom for saying that. Um, if there is a church on earth that was established by Christ, it has to be able and willing to say that. Say that We are the church established by Christ. This is the one true Savior, and this is the church he's established, and we're going to stand by that, because to deny that, we would be denying Christ. Uh, you understand, you understand my point. It would tantamount amount to saying our Lord would somehow back down and say to the Pharisees, well, maybe you're right, you know, I shouldn't be making these claims. Well, then, if we see in our Lord someone who boldly says, I am the light of the world, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father but through me. If our Lord Jesus Christ says that, then any church that he establishes is going to have to be able to say that. And the moment it stops saying that, as we see with the Novus Ordo, Catholics should, and all Christians should begin to wonder, well, uh, how can this possibly be the church that Christ established now? So uh, I'm just saying that uh, we, we need to think as Catholics on this issue. When we're choosing the leadership of our nation, and not be afraid to vote our Catholic principles. In fact, we should be very, very much afraid not to vote our Catholic principles. And the uh, idea of the, uh, I think, that you made about the lack of Christ, the lack of Catholic principles in society, um, I think actually is the answer as to how you get these judges who talk about the fact that natural law does not supersede the court's authority and, and other statements like that, because it all goes back to um, the idea that uh, and it started in the uh, 1800s with, with the communism and the infiltration of our educational system. Our educational system is now built to create people who can't think, who uh, can only do things. Uh, we have the Common Core now, which is explicitly uh, built for those reasons. But th those uh, problems all developed, and, and we were warned in uh, way back in 1850, uh, Frederick Bastier wrote the little pamphlet called The Law. And in The Law, he said, the government... The one of the, and he was very much about against government interference in a lot of things, but he said the government cannot get involved in education because if the government gets involved in education, what you're basically doing is you're setting it up. So that way, if the teachers are getting paid by the government, if the government goes bad, 
You're going to have people teaching your children who are afraid to say anything bad about the government and will just let it go and teach your children the government is great because the government is paying them and they're afraid to get into trouble. And that has bled all the way up into law school. Well, we see the results of that, don't we? And uh, in law school, you, uh, you get taught that the court's duty is to interpret the law. And that's an important word, the word interpret, because that's not correct. The courts are not supposed to interpret the law because that would give them the power to make laws. Mm -hmm. And that, the, that is not what the Constitution states. It's the legislative branch who is supposed to create laws. Yeah. Courts are there to apply the law. They get a specific situation. Here's the law and have to apply the law to that situation. That's all they're supposed to do. But when uh, you have the law schools teaching the lawyers who become the judges... That is their job to interpret the law. Well, of course, I'm I'm the one who's going to interpret the law. I'm the one who gets to make the law. And that's how we end up in this predicament to begin with. And it all begins because of government involvement in the school system, which we were warned about 160 years ago. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Well, that's a very good point. Frederick Bastard talked about that very clearly. And I guess in his own day, he was considered a bit of a liberal because I don't know if he really saw this necessity of fidelity to the gospel, Christ, as he really is, not according to the heretical, uh, you know, mis, uh, misinterpretation of the gospel and and the, the, I should say, the caricature of Christ that is presented in the world today by a false Christianity. Uh, and yet he saw the principles were there. He understood human nature and saw that it would work that uh, a government in power would seek to control, to keep itself, to perpetuate its power, and would see the need to, uh, to, to basically uh, form not citizens but minions or pawns out of the children. I mean, Stalin saw that, Lenin saw that, all dictators see that, right? What did Lenin say? Give me one generation. Give me one generation, that's all I need. So this is, a, this is again, a very evil way of thinking. Ordinarily, if you look back in history, people sometimes blame the church <clears throat> for working hand in glove with the civil power. But if you really look back in history without the, uh, the prejudice, I would say, of the anti-Catholic prejudice, you would see time and time again it was the spiritual power of the popes, of the bishops, who withstood the civil power and said, you shall not pass, and said, this is wrong. We will not let you do these evil things and take and, and simply claim ownership of these people, body and soul, who put their foot down with the kings and the princes. Uh, and the church, time and time again, in her legislation was blocking the kings and the princes from trying to claim despotic power over the people. This is why the church so often suffered because of that and was persecuted. And of course, the civil power always tried to make it look as though as the church, that the church was the bad guy in this. And they were the ones who were aggrieved by the church rapacity in trying to seize uh, civil power. But the fact is, it was the other way around. Uh, the church was often victimized and attacked by the civil power throughout history because she was willing to stand up for those, her own, her own people who needed her protection. And there's so many examples in society going back even to times of barbarian invasions and right on through uh, feudalism, uh, you know, the medieval period of time, and right on through also through uh, uh, the late medieval period, the Renaissance, so the church putting herself on the line 
and giving uh, countless martyrs, thousands of martyrs, to insist on uh, the fact that there was a limit to government power. There was a limit to civil authority. You yourself in the past mentioned Robert Bellarmine, said Robert Bellarmine, himself drawing upon St. Thomas Aquinas, talking about uh, the, the rights and prerogatives of, of the people, of the populace. Uh, you yourself mentioned, and very, very well, well said, that it's not the Catholic principle, the divine right of kings is not the Catholic principle, it's a Protestant principle. That's what the Protestants insisted upon. And the Catholics said no. Uh, kings uh, do not have uh, the divine right to do whatever they please. But they themselves are subject to law. The idea of having a constitution, uh, a constitutional monarchy, uh, <clears throat> was actually an outgrowth of the Catholic idea that kings are necessarily subject to a higher law. And uh, the constitutional monarchy, the constitutional part of it, was actually making that explicit, uh, the restrictions on the royal power. So uh, the church is a counterpoint to that civil power. Uh, the civil authority is a very necessary aspect of liberty. And when we give that up, I mean, uh, well, again, getting back to modernism, St. Pius X in his encyclical on modernism, Pascendi Domenici Gregis, points out that the modernists would say that faith, conscience, and the church herself have to be subject ultimately to the civil authority because the church is in this world and, uh, and in pursuing her faith, she has to reckon with the civil authority and what she does. And the civil authority has to have controls over how that faith is expressed and how it's practiced. The modernists in the church, the modern uh, Novus Ordo Church today are betraying the Catholic people into the hands of these godless civil authorities right now with their modernist principles. And we're, we're, we're seeing the, the terrible consequences of that right now. We're about to see a spectacle as Francis comes to the United States of America and takes the stage with Barack Obama. And uh, we see hope and change there. Which is hope and which is change, but we've got the hope and change team there, right? Uh, right there on the stage before us, and we see where it's leading, and it's not good. And <clears throat> just to, to touch upon that a little bit, um, isn't uh, uh, Obama going to uh, have an uh, embassy of uh, welcoming uh, members there for? He's invited uh, a, a coterie of people who flagrantly uh, not only deny Catholic teaching in word, but uh, flamboyantly contradict it in their manner of living. Uh, nuns and uh, a nun who is a great supporter of abortion, even be an abortion activist, uh, uh, transvestite, uh, uh, homosexual, and representatives of our society uh, who not only do not represent really um, our society as such, um, but uh, certainly not representative of Catholic principles. And I guess the idea is to test whether just how open and merciful and accepting Francis really is. If he's going to just smile and nod and go along with this circus that is being set up for him. Some have even suggested that Francis requested, asked Barack Obama to arrange for such a welcoming committee for him, to set the stage for him.
to show how accepting he is, you know. How, how far we've come since uh, uh, St. Pius X, because uh, during his reign, uh, the uh, former president, Theodore Roosevelt, was in Italy and uh, was looking to have an audience with uh, the then Pope Pius X. And um, some false rumors were spread by a Protestant minister who was in Italy that, about Roosevelt going to be meeting with him and how he uh, uh, supported this minister. And uh, the Pope said, well, I'm not even going to meet with Roosevelt because, you know what, the appearance of, the, of me then meeting with him could scandalize the people. Mm -hmm. And even, even though it ended up not being a, a true statement on behalf of the minister. And now we have a Pope who is looking to put himself on a stage with any manner of rabble that he can possibly put together. Well, he's, he believes in shock. He told uh, the people gathered in Rio, make a mess, a mess of the church, they just make a mess. And he is a walking scandal. And people of the world love him for that. Not because of who he really is, but because of the persona he projects. You know, you said something earlier, which is so true. I mean, people do not even think in terms of truth anymore. The reality for them is how they feel about the truth. How they feel about things. That's their reality. That's everything to them. How I feel about it. It dictates for them what is true, what is false, what is right, what is wrong. And it's all a matter of their own, you know, whether it serves their own particular purpose, their own particular ego, their own particular comfort or not. That's their reality. And, uh, you know, people go in for Francis because he basically not only caters to that, he kind of personifies that mentality. Um, and so we're going to see something happening here very soon, I'm afraid, that is going to just ratchet up the level of scandal to those who believe in the law of God in the world. And his message is, don't worry about it, you know. Um, all God cares about is mercy. The only tradition of the church is change. Um, people are willing to hear this right now. Uh, because that's, you know, that's the way they've been trained to think or not to think. And it's, uh, it's taking us right down into the abyss. You know, what I mentioned before about the question of voting for the lesser of evils, every time there's an election, whether it be an election for local offices or a national office, uh, the Catholic people, the real Catholic people these days, are conflicted by this. Not the Novus Ordo people so much. I mean, the majority of the Novus Ordo voters have voted for Barack Obama and uh, people like him who are in favor of abortion and Planned Parenthood and all the rest. And that shows, again, the moral bankruptcy of the New Order Church that calls itself the Catholic Church these days. I'm talking about the traditional Catholics who still hold to the, the real Catholic faith, okay? Still practice it by going only to the traditional Catholic Mass and believe everything in the old catechisms of the Catholic Church and believe they're held to live according to the Catholic moral principles. And that's the type of person I'm talking about is very so-called conflicted by this. And time and time again, we have people ask us as Catholic priests, what should I do? Um, you know, there are those who say we, we should vote for the lesser of two or three or four evils, or we should vote our consciences if we find a candidate who we know cannot possibly win the election, but that person actually approximates what we believe in, you know. 
So should we vote our consciences or should we vote uh, uh, the reality that we're given, you know, the, the myth that is presented to us in the hopes that we can avert the worst candidate of all? Uh, it just seems to be at this point that we've been voting this lesser of two evils uh, path for years now, and you see where it's brought us. And I think, uh, really, um, voting for, if you find, if you know somebody who actually stands for Catholic principles, and, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, that, that's where my vote would go. I'm ready to do just a write-in vote, Christ the King, you know, just write at that, let it go. That's my vote. Um, but I would say this, uh, we all have to vote. There's no question. Every single Catholic has to vote. But you don't vote primarily by walking into a little booth, pulling a lever, coloring a little square, whatever. That's only part of it, okay? And the least important part of it, as far as I'm concerned right now. We vote by getting down our knees, and we put our hands together, and we pray. And that's the most important vote we can cast. Because every time we do that, and we pray to God for mercy, we're casting a vote. And our vote is for, for God. Our vote is for our Lord. For our Blessed Mother's words to be fulfilled. That's the most important vote. And as far as I'm concerned right now, that's the only vote that in the end is really going to matter. Uh, that's the only thing, that, the power that can save our country at this extreme, in this extreme situation right now. So I would just tell every Catholic person uh, out there, you have a moral obligation to vote. But when I say that, I mean vote on your knees and fold your hands and uh, beg God for mercy. Follow what Our Lady said at Fatima. Pray, do not sin, do not add to the, the mountain of sin cast in the face of our Lord every day. Uh, make reparation for the sins of mankind. Consecrate yourself to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. When you do pray, pray the rosary. When you go to Mass, pray the Mass. Live your Catholic faith. And don't be squeamish and apologetic about it. Be very bold about it. You talked about those who would be first in line voting, right? And then people would get in line behind them. There are a lot of good people out there who don't know what to do because they don't have any clear voice. There's no trumpet sounding in the land. So, you know, all it takes uh, in, for many of these people is to hear a clear voice saying, this is the right thing to do. They'll recognize it. They'll follow it. Well, that's what the Catholic voice should be. So I would ask every Catholic to be not only Catholic, but be boldly Catholic, boldly traditional Catholic. You have nothing to be ashamed of except being ashamed of your faith. Um, and you uh, brought up, a, and I think it was a, a very good point, that um, Catholics should vote for uh, those who we truly believe um, are the, the best candidate now, would it be wrong for a Catholic to say, we have these two candidates who are, one of, one of them is going to be elected. Um, the one candidate is evil. Mm. The other candidate is bad. bad. <laughs> but, but, but has at least some qualities or in some areas is considerably less bad than the other person is. And you, you usually will be able to find someone who can come at least much closer to being a good candidate, if not, not perfect. And that's always difficult in this world. And that's why, you know, like you said... The only, the only vote for candidate would be perfect would be for our Lord himself. Um, would a Catholic be wrong, though? Would it be sinful for the Catholic to vote for the person who is 
not as good as the third party candidate, but considerably better than who they consider to be really evil. If there is a clear cut choice, um, as in terms of who is the lesser of the evils, then, and that's the only choice you've got, then there would be an obligation to vote for the lesser of the evils. But this is where we have to have a rational discussion. This is where good people have to avoid arguing with each other and bickering with each other because this is what the liberals want want uh, us to do is to squabble among ourselves, quarrel among ourselves, bicker among ourselves as to whether we should be doing that or not or which is the worst of them. I mean, let's face it, one could say, okay, this man is evil because he manifestly hates what is good and he will do everything he can to try to destroy virtue and goodness and innocence wherever it is. I mean, that's how Bishop Sheen defined evil, someone who actually hates and tries to destroy whatever is good and innocent, anywhere he finds it. A bad person is somebody who profits from the bad, uh, and so he has a certain affection for what is bad, but it's not the same as though he doesn't recognize there is goodness and that maybe he might even admit that he's wrong in this, but he does cling to what is bad because he profits from it. Um, but one might say, well, okay, one can reasonably say, look, you vote for the lesser of two evils here, and maybe immediately the, the terrible evil will not happen. But in the course of time, it's just going to continue the degradation and deterioration of our country. And it's just a matter of time. It's not a matter of, uh, of whether or not the evil will happen. As a matter of fact, that would be the worst situation because uh, we need people to appreciate the gravity of the situation. And uh, somebody like that just kind of eases us down that road and prevents good people from waking up and saying, we have to stop this. We can't go on like this. Whereas if you elect the out-and-out -out evil person, then the hope is that people will be so shocked by it and startled by it and so dismayed by it that they will rise up and say, now we see clearly what we have to do. So, I mean, there, there's a case that can be made either way. And uh, now that would not justify somebody going out and saying, well, I'm going to vote for the evil person because I want to wake people up, you know. That's, that would never be right, okay? It's never permissible to do evil so that good may result from it, you know. Um, it's very uncommunistic of you, Father. Uh, very, uh, thank you. Very uncommunistic. I hope that's true of everything you would say. Um, <clears throat> and that's true. You know, you're right. Uh, the end always justifies the means for the communists and for the liberals. And for the liberals and the socialists and the leftists all the way down the line. Um, but, um, but on the other hand, you know, the person could say, well, I'm going to vote for the lesser of the two evils. And this is how I, who I see as the lesser of two evils, because that will give us time. And we can pray more and we can sacrifice more and hopefully raise the alarm and get a reaction uh, to prevent our country from going so bad that uh, we've reached the point of no return with God. Mm. So one can argue these things too. The point is, in this debate though, we can't anathematize each other just because we disagree. Um, there is no infallible answer that I can give you. There's no infallible answer that you can give. Uh, we can accuse each other of being illogical um, or whatever, but we can't accuse of each, each other of being a bad person because we just don't agree uh, 
that this is the lesser of two evils here, this is the lesser of two evils here, or it's just wrong to vote for the lesser of two evils at all here because they're all going the same place and they all start with the same principles, the same bad principles. There is room to have that debate among conservatives, right? Traditional Catholics, there's room to have that debate. But we have to be very civil and thoughtful about it. My, my thought on the subject of this, to cap up, because again, I know I can be prolix in talking about it, is look, if it's, if it's not important, then we should not bother arguing about it. If it is important, then it's too important to argue about. We have to have a rational, thoughtful discussion based upon prayer and hopefully reason enlightened by divine grace to see our way through this. Divide and conquer has always been the attitude of Satan. We can't let him get away with it this time. We cannot fall into that pit. So we have to be able to have a rational, thoughtful discussion about that among ourselves. Listen carefully, be attentive, but ultimately each one of us is going to have to do what he believes is the right thing to do in the eyes of God. And what your point uh, is very interesting that you made about the uh, idea that if you actually finally do have someone who is elected who is um, evil, I mean, currently we have a president who is absolutely pro-abortion uh, under no, under all circumstances, who recently had the White House uh, entirely adorned in the uh, gay pride uh, rainbow colors, yeah. um, and it seems at least that with those. We have a few viable candidates now who have stepped forward who haven't lost traction like maybe they have in the past. So uh, maybe there is hope. Well, there's always hope, mm -hmm. you know, but it's going to ultimately have to come with from those who are willing to cooperate with God's grace. Um, I do see some candidates, I think, actually have that approach to life, that, that spirit, and they recognize that it is God's grace that about that it is really the only hope we have. And that, I think, does give us hope. Placing your hope anywhere else, I think, makes it hopeless, in fact. So let's uh, pray for good candidates. Pray that God gives good candidates. Uh, pray that then he gives uh, those candidates the grace to persevere and gives us the grace to recognize them and, and promote those who promote him. Um, but not be deceived, because... All too often we see this. The liberals don't care what you say as long as you do liberal. In other words, you can talk as pro-life as you want, as pro-marriage as you want, but when the time comes for you to actually vote, as long as you vote their way, they look through all the rhetoric and even consider there to be a certain art in deception. May even applaud a candidate who speaks very conservatively, but gives them what they want. They consider that person to be on their side. But the conservatives seem so willing to accept rhetoric and all the rah, 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 the pep rally stuff. And then the person gets into office and they stab them in the back with their own ballots. And uh, like a Judas, you know. But the, the, time and time again, we see the conservatives falling into that same trap of accepting rhetoric. And then when the candidate gets into office and just totally betrays everything he said and everything he claimed to stand for, 
the conservatives wring their hand and say, did you see what he did? But they're completely ineffectual about doing any of that. Just the opposite of the liberals, you know. Um, it's time that, that we... Um, this, this I, I think the conservatives are vulnerable to that. Again, because I don't think they have the right principles. I mean, you get, you get people out there, members of the Tea Party, who I think had some good principles behind them. But time and time again, you find them talking, and what they're really concerned about is their, their money, their, their status of living, their liberties, uh, and you don't hear them really thinking in terms of what's right and wrong in the eyes of God and, and trying to do the right thing precisely because it is God's will. They're concerned about um, uh, just not having anybody encroaching on their, liberals, uh, their, their liberties or taking their money. So their bank accounts and um, their being free to do whatever they please they may be on their third wife or fourth wife. They may be living with somebody out of wedlock, and yet they claim to be supporting marriage, using artificial birth control, yet they claim to be supporting traditional marriage. And you see that they're frauds. I think it's precisely that mentality that leaves them open to falling into this pit every time. Uh, and, and people can take advantage of this. Not, it's not naivete. It's, it's a willful blindness on their part. Uh, and they're conned over and over again. So uh, I think only those who have clear-sighted principles and a real devotion to God uh, can see past the, the, uh, the snake oil salesman in politics and recognize someone who really, like themselves, is devoted to God, devoted to the law of God, and, uh, and wants to do what is right because of a, certain, a real love for God. That's what we, we need to have that. We need to restore that in our country. We need to see that in our people. We need to get people who are committed to that, that same thing together. And we need to get them uh, working together uh, for the good of our country, for the good of, for the, good of the church, too, right now. That's a, that's a wonderful summary um, of it. And it goes back to that idea of trying to maybe look for that candidate who has that humility to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's wonderful. Um, well, Father, I thank you very much uh, for being here tonight. Well, certainly, Jim. Thank you. And we thank you all for uh, watching What Catholics Believe. Uh, we have received uh, your emails with some topics, and we will be touching upon those topics in our uh, future shows. We thank you very much for sending those emails to us. If you have any questions, uh, comments, we'd love to hear from you. Please feel free to email us. And um, I think today's show uh, especially shows us why it's so important for us to heed the words of Our Lady, to pray and make sacrifices. Thank you.